Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 431. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we've got Kevin Rickstraw. Hey, Kevin. Hey, hello. Well, being our year-end wrap-up show, we're also joined this week by Ken Bakley. Hey, Ken. Hello. How are you? Uh, okay. How was everybody's Christmas? It was good. It was, it was good. Yeah. I, a pretty laid-back Christmas for me. I didn't, Same here. didn't go anywhere or really do anything. So it was, it was good. It was just my wife and I exchanging gifts, hanging out with the dogs. My mother-in-law is visiting right now. So it's, yeah, it's been, been a good week. How was yours, Kevin? Was yours chaos? Yeah. Yeah, imagine. Sure chaos. I imagined. A lot of, a lot of visiting. Mm. Just compounding that viral load. Got it. Oh, yeah. Big time. Hopefully, hopefully <laughs> I come out on the other end. We'll find out. Like every year, we're going to go over our top 10 movies of the year and maybe throw in some other notable trends and topics and we'll just we'll just see where things go you know if you've you've listened to this uh this year and wrap up in the past we just kind of we just go with the flow with it see where the conversation leads it's 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 always a good time to talk about uh our list because for me and it uh from talking with you guys offline it seems for you this is the only way i can get myself to finalize my list is by saying it on mic on the record. <laughs> and this year I do want to give like a strong caveat. So I, I was able to squeeze in most of the things that I think might have ended up on the list, but I did not see licorice pizza. And I have a very strong feeling that that would be on my list. And that that's one that I just could not squeeze in. Now there's a trend that I've realized for me personally is a, a couple of films by filmmakers that like essentially dominated my life or you know filmmakers that I was obsessed with for most of my life mm-hmm. just having cuz you mentioned licorice pizza i i have no interest just i and i don't know why i just have absolutely no interest in seeing it i will at some point but and like the french dispatch was the same way i'm just like oh whenever i get around to it when those are guys that, like, that I would plan my year around that movie coming out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do. I, I feel the same way. I, I do kind of feel the same way. I was actually not excited about the French, conne- uh, the French, the French Connection, the French Dispatch either. And I'm like a huge Wes Anderson fan. So I, I definitely feel you on that. And there, there's some other directors, too, where I'll see like, oh, so-and-so has a new movie coming out. And I'll just like not feel the same level of anticipation or excitement as I once did. Yeah, I don't. I'm not. I'm not sure what that is. I think that maybe it's just because, like, for me personally, the last couple of years have been very lackluster as far as movies in general. Like, I, you know, my my list. I'm I'm happy with my list. Uh, I been shuffling things around for the last couple of days, and the movies that are on the list, I wholeheartedly recommend and I, and I I love most of them but there's no like clear standout like oh my god I, I love this movie with all of my heart and soul and I'm gonna rewatch it a million times and buy the blu-ray and all of that stuff it's just it's yeah. just not there this year yeah I, I think it's just the degree to which we 
that's such a, such a great feeling to come away with a movie about, but by definition of how it makes us react, it's very rare. I think part of it might be the lack of a theatrical experience for most of these movies. Like, yeah. I really do think that that gives a movie, it, it elevates a movie. And even even a movie that n- might not necessarily be like a strong theatrical movie, but uh, just just movies in general, I feel like I'm I feel like I'm much more connected to them when I see it, see them in a theater as opposed to home. Even though like when I watch movies at home, I try to recreate that experience as much as I can. Like I don't play on my phone unless it's like a really shitty movie and I get bored or whatever. But I, I try to not look at my phone, I focus on the movie and all of that stuff, but I think that there's still something that you lose when you watch a movie at home, especially if, yeah. you, if you're Kevin and watching it on like a 14-inch screen with subtitles hey, on, hey. Vo- volume at one. Hey, my mom, it's <laughs> oh, because right. of Tubi. She got, she got the that Tubi new TV. T- I got that new Tubi TV. It's much bigger. <laughs> Got a sound bar and everything. Watch oh, out. Oh, whoa. Look out. Yeah. Yeah. But I know what you're saying. It's, I think it's something we've learned a lot over the past couple of years, which is that there is so much uh, about the way we interact and live and experience things that are based around locations. And once you get to a point where it's all being pushed into like one space where if one area becomes everything, then that it's just a lot harder to uh, feel like you're having an experience uh, and it's it's just easier to be distracted if not by something else just by the, the nature of which you it's harder just to like feel like you're in a space and you can give this your attention yeah and that's my my goal for next year is to just try to see more movies in the theater and and hopefully you know the health situation <laughs> clears up starts to get better where i feel safe going to the theater again i'll just throw this out there rest in peace adam patterson (laughs) yeah i mean i'm not gonna be like risking my (laughs) risking my life just to go see movies in the theater more movies in the theater Uh, definitely it's all dependent on the the current pandemic situation of course but yeah, yeah i don't know all right let's go ahead so i i think that what we're we're gonna do is we'll just go like we typically do start with number 10, we'll go around and uh, just discuss each one. And then uh, if you know, there's other topics that happen to get sparked when giving off the, the, you know, the items on this list, then we'll just get into it. So we'll start with you, Ken, since you're our guest, what's your number 10? My number 10 is Judas and the black Messiah. That's also my number 10. Good movie. Uh, uh, Before you, Give you a reason why. That, now, see, this is a movie that I forgot came out this year. That's kind of the thing <laughs> is that I would have watched yeah. this. We we uh we don't like release date discourse, but I think you kind of have to address it because, for all intents and purposes, this was marketed and treated like a 2020 movie for one reason, and that one reason was the Oscars' really weird 14-month release window last year. Mm-hmm. But it did came out come out in February. Uh, it very much... Uh, it seemed like it, it, there was not a huge effort to keep it in people's attention after... much long after that, but it is a, uh, a really good, uh, well-made film, and 
great performances from Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah, I I agree with all your sentiments there. I wasn't expecting much from this because it looked to me like a fairly by the numbers biopic. And so I was I was really surprised to see that there was so much like artistry in it. And that's in addition to the really great performances. So, yeah, I, I was really surprised with this one. And just to this was one of the HBO Max releases. So I think it was like a probably a Warner Brothers, right? Mm-hmm. One of the one of those. So with with a lot of these, like they dropped it on HBO Max and it was there for like two weeks and then it just kind of disappeared and you didn't really know where it went or or when it was going to be yeah, back I, or I, what. I can't imagine from where we are now that any studio is going to try something like that again, especially once they were getting into the summer, once the theaters were opening. Uh, and uh, again, it, 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 just the way that I, I can't imagine. Yeah, it was want to try that. It was pretty wild. It was pretty yeah. wild that they did that, but. Yeah, we'll see what what kind of yeah. uh, repercussions that has. Kevin, what's your number ten? Uh, my number ten is a Dim Valley by Brandon Colvin. Oh, okay. So this is much like Colvin's other works. This is a movie that has stuck with me throughout the year. One that I like keep coming back to. Keep you know thinking about periodically, like every couple of weeks or so. Um, which I, that seems to be my relationship with his films is. From the outset, I'm like, okay, this is pretty good. <clears throat> I enjoyed it. You know, it didn't it didn't wow me or anything. You know, there's a lot of a lot of aspects to it that I enjoyed, but like I slowly grow to love it over the year, and that's the same thing that happened with this one. Uh, you got Robert Longstreet, as usual, when he works with Colvin, giving a great performance. He has a really compelling monologue in this movie, and he does his own music. Mm. He has his own song. That's it. Turns out that uh, Robert Longstreet is a very good singer as well. Seems and like it would be that. Yeah, that he just kind of baritone, like a Tom Waits kinda, type. No, he kind of sounds like Neil Young. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's it's really good actually, and. Uh, so that was something that I noticed here. A lot of Longstreet this year, which in the movie that you guys just talked about, he has a small role in that. But between, yeah, he had a great year. Yeah, he was he was popping up in everything. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. Uh, all right, Ken, what's your number nine? Uh, my number nine is Mass uh, by Fran Krantz. Uh It's just a it's a one room. Uh, movie more or less actually that's not entirely true it, it it is important when it moves outside of the one room and there are lots of scenes there but it's it's a one location we'll say uh drama with uh just four really really great performances um from reed bernie and dowd jason isaacs and martha plimpton it's uh, a difficult work to grapple with but um i think really rewarding uh and it uh avoids kind of easy pat answers and just kind of lets us consider what's being said, uh, how it's being said, and lets these actors really work with the material. It, it's a hard movie to sell people on because you tell people the logline uh, about, like, you know, it's, it's a meeting between uh, two sets of parents and 
And one couple is uh, somebody who lost a child in a school shooting, and the other couple is the uh, parents of the child who perpetrated the school shooting. Like, it's hard to get people to want to sit down and watch that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. It, it, it's, I think it, it, it could have been kind of very pat or very reductive, uh, but it, it, it's not. It, it's very well done. Uh, my number nine is Red Rocket. I expected this to be on the list. I was glad that I was able to get caught up with it very last minute. I was able to see it yesterday. But great film. Shot in 16 millimeter. If you're not familiar, it uh, stars Simon Rex. And he plays this uh, former porn star who ends up... He's down on his luck. He ends up back in his own his hometown in Texas. And he ends up kind of grooming this 17 year old girl and it's 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 very funny but it's also very dark and uh really great performances uh specifically simon rex uh like a lot of uh like a lot of baker's other movies he employs a lot of non-actors in here and he really just sort of dives takes a deep dive into this this community and uh yeah it was great funny it was sad it was uh infuriating at times because simon rex's character is not an inherently likable person and where they go with the story is not something that you typically see in most movies so i thought that that was kind of refreshing also but uh yeah ended up being on my top 10 red rocket check it out kevin what's your number nine Strong finish. Strong finish there. Uh, my number nine is a movie that we talked about somewhat recently, and that's Power of the Dog, but I would like you to say it for me. <laughs> I don't, I don't even remember how I said it. I was like, ah. Power of the Dog or something like that. Yeah, it's not as good. It's second yeah, time I mean, it was right. really just a, <laughs> it was it was a lightning in a bottle thing. <laughs> Glad we captured it for perpetuity, though. Uh, I just, this one's another one that's kind of stuck with me. I just, I found this to be a really compelling, uh, character study of opposites in juxtaposition between Cumberbatch's performance, who's someone that I usually don't like in most of the roles that he plays, but this is one that I thought was perfect for him and he does a fantastic job in, uh, and of course him playing off of Cody Smith McPhee and just the how that relationship develops and that like the power struggle that's going on there. Uh, you know, you have Cumberbatch who's kind of uncomfortable in his own skin and overcompensating. And then he feels a connection with Smith McPhee's character. Cause he thinks that he's uncomfortable in his own skin, but he's not, you know, he's very, very comfortable. And hmm. just the way that, yeah. that, that power struggle plays out. It's just, I, I thought it was phenomenal. And then the landscapes on top of that and a great score to boot. Mm-hmm. Nice. Power the doll. Check it out. <laughs> Close. Closer. Yeah, getting there. <laughs> <laughs> Ken, what's your number eight? My number eight is The Lost Daughter. <clears throat> the uh, new day, de- uh, the uh, directorial debut, I believe, uh, from Maggie Gyllenhaal. A-, a movie that I watched the other day and was... I think sort of struggling with while I was watching it, it it was kind of hard to sort of piece together exactly for me, at least uh, where the movie was going and exactly what it wanted to say and how it wanted to go about it. Just the mechanics of the filmmaking here 
uh, and the mechanics of the storytelling here. But it's something where I think if you just g- give it the chance to let it sit with you, it, it's one of those things where the more distance I've gotten from it, the more I've been able to appreciate the meticulous nature of this filmmaking. I mean, for a directorial debut, it's just really, really confident, astonishing filmmaking. And there's this great kind of almost dueling and almost complementary performances from Olivia Coleman and Jesse Buckley playing the same character at different points in their lives. Uh, I think it's playing limited right now, but by the time that you hear this, it will be on Netflix. Cool. Um, my number eight is the French dispatch. I kind of struggled with adding this to the list because on one hand, it is an incredibly fun, ridiculously well shot movie with an absolute, like a metric ton of, of great performances, great characters, uh, or great actors involved. But at the same time, I feel like it, it lacks some of the, the 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 actual character development that a lot of Wes Anderson movies have and and for that I I feel like it's a little bit of a, a lesser Anderson even though when you see this you're just like holy crap this is the most Wes Anderson movie that Wes Anderson has ever made I mean it is like in it, it is like he he heaps it on so thick with like the tableaus and the d- different like every every shot every set is so meticulously crafted i mean it is like he's just going nuts in this movie and i still found it to be incredibly charming incredibly fun i liked all three of the uh the stories involved here and uh yeah it, it ended up winning me over yeah that was my reaction to it as well i liked it too uh but just Sitting there watching it, and about like the first 10 15 minutes, I, I think this is almost too much Wes Anderson. It, it's so incredible, though. Like, you'll see there'll be like literally one shot, and it that he they created this like super elaborate set that has like multiple yes. levels and stuff. Ooh. And it's like for literally one shot, and you're just like, oh my god, this is insane. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's this is Wes Anderson as if we needed uh, any confirmation at the point in his career where uh, no one's going to be there to tell him no anymore, <laughs> yeah. which could definitely end up uh, backfiring and creating some truly insufferable movies someday. But it's working now. Yeah, for now. Like, I, I, still, again, it's not in my like top five Wes Anderson or anything, but. It's still a an, an incredibly fun experience, and I, I I really enjoyed it overall. So, all right, Kevin, what's your number eight? My number eight is something that we saw for Slam Dance coverage. Came to my attention that came out this year, and that's Taipei Suicide Story from Kef. I guess is his name. Incredible, incredible. I don't add short, a, I don't is, add short films to my list, but if I did, that would be on. Yeah, and this is one of those. In betweeners, this is that like mid-length feature mm-hmm. type, long short film, forty-five minute type deal, uh, which you know centers around a receptionist at a suicide hotel that uh, befriends a guest that's been gaming the system. She's kind of just been sp- spending the night there. She's she can't decide whether or not to finally commit to suicide. So there, it kind of takes place over the course of one night. 
of them kind of like developing this relationship and kind of him like giving her, you know, some, some viewpoints as to, you know, as to why not to commit suicide. But I, I found the, the ending of this really, really, really interesting. And I thought it was a really complex look because it kind of looked at like his motivations as to what was going on and why he was, you know, taking the viewpoint of not ending your life. But of course, she's the one that's, she doesn't really see any of those. It's just, I thought it was a really interesting movie. So definitely check this out if you get a chance. Yeah, I would, uh, I would love to see that extended i think that they could easily make that into a, a feature loved i loved it uh all right ken what's your number seven my number seven is riders of justice oh, uh it's nice. a great movie great yeah. movie great performances uh wonderful entry in the movie tradition of using a cert of presenting yourself as a certain kind of movie to relentlessly critique that kind of movie Mm-hmm. Or yes. perhaps more accurately, the emotions that might drive it. I just realized that I like totally forgot to include this in my overall list. It's, so it's funny because I had just before we started recording, I had this on my list uh, further down, but I never realized that I never logged it on Letterboxd. I don't think I did either. I mean, also seven point five or something. <laughs> incredible barn. Just, I mean. Mm-hmm. The best barn in cinema, twenty twenty one, without mm-hmm. a doubt, hands down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really love this movie. I, I I don't know if it would hit my top ten. It'd be close, but yeah, it's it's, it's pretty great. Uh, all right, my number seven is the Mitchells versus the Machines. Uh, it's the really great animated film. I watched this several times. It's on Netflix. I thought that it was. Very funny. I love the animation style. It reminds me of it's a, a Sony animated movie, so it it kind of has the same look as the uh, Into the Spider Verse movies. But uh, yeah, I thought that the the animation style was somewhat unique, and I really loved the the story and the dynamic, the family dynamic at play here. So highly recommend the Mitchells versus the Machines, and it's rare that an animated movie makes it on my top ten. So. That's saying something. Yeah. Kevin, what's your number seven? Mine is completely different than that movie that you just mentioned. And mine is uh, Beginning, directed by Dia Kulumbegashvili, the Georgian director. This was on Mubi at the very beginning of the year. This was something that I was pretty excited for, having enjoyed her short films over the last couple of years. This centers around uh, the wife of a leader of a this like small Jehovah's Witness community and they're attacked by an extremist group and uh, her world just starts slowly kind of falling apart trying to make sense of her place in the world and her place in this this little community that's nestled inside of a larger community, this provincial town that doesn't really like them or want them to be there and you know, of course her place as a woman inside of that community nestled inside that other community that hates it and just everything that goes along with it. And this great performances, cinematography, the natural lighting. I mean, good stuff. It's a hard, it's a tough watch, but it's a rewarding watch. 
Okay, nice. Um, Ken, what's your number six? My number six is the Mitchells versus the Machines. Uh, nice. I agree with you. It's really good. Kevin, have Not you seen this yet? Yeah, I've seen it. It's on my. It's a little bit lower, but it is. It's a. That would be like an honorable mention for me. I did really enjoy this. This did, was a did lot we, of fun. Did we review it on the show? I, I'm pretty sure we did. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I, honestly, this is another movie that felt like I've watched this like two years ago, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, my number six is "Come On, Come On." This is the, uh, the Mike Mills one with Joaquin Phoenix. This is a movie that that I would that sort of reminded me of um, at least how I felt when I saw Patterson, the Jim Jarmusch one from a couple years ago, where it just felt so pure to me, and I just had this like kind of good, like warm feeling while while I was watching it. What this movie's about is is basically Joaquin Phoenix is a, uh, a, a radio documentarian and he's working on a, a piece about like uh, gifted children and like just sort of interviewing them. He's going across the country, he's interviewing these gifted kids and just getting their perspective on the world. And he ends up taking his nephew along with him. And it just is kind of an exploration of his relationship with his nephew and there's some uh some family problems happening and that's why um he he has his nephew in tow and uh, i just thought it was it was fantastic i loved it i i don't think that the like it's so shot in black and white which looks good but it didn't like blow me away or anything like some black and white shot films but uh there's enough here performance wise and and narrative wise to to really warrant a spot on the list kevin what's your number six? Oh, my number six is perhaps the most fun that i had with a movie this year that you can find this on netflix and that's the paper tigers another one from slam dance and my god this movie is just a fucking delight the characters performances the chemistry the camaraderie Fight choreography is actually like legit and mm-hmm. phenomenal. Uh, it's like a, a throwback martial arts film, but it's not over reliant on nostalgia. It just like you can tell this was made by someone that like legitimately adores those types of films, and he went out of his way to create like the best one that he could. And man, I just I think when we talked about this movie on the podcast before. I could just watch these guys, but like indefinitely, I think these, these characters alone, or even if they decided to make a like prequel with the, the mixtape that's done in like the opening credits of them is like teenagers be awesome. fighting. I could watch that. Like any version of it, really. I'll, I'll watch it. The great thing about the paper tigers, I think is that it subverts your expectations because when, like when you see the trailer for this and, read the synopsis you it doesn't sound like it's going to be anything special but then when you actually experience it it's it's not it's not it's more than just like a a goofball comedy about these like aging martial artists who are into karate as kids like it's not yeah. it's, it's so much I more think, than that i think this is like perhaps one of the biggest surprises for me in terms of like 
what I was kind of expecting or where I set my expectations going in and then what it turned out to actually be. And like, I just, I love this movie. It's so much fun. Yeah. All right. I, uh, I, I, I haven't seen it yet, on a, a, but it's right there on Netflix. Yeah, it's, it's, it's right there. Great. It's so good. It's so good. Definitely recommend it. Ken, what's your number five? My number five is Flea, a uh, animated uh, feature doc- feature length documentary about the experiences of a uh, refugee from Afghanistan who eventually uh, settles in Denmark. It's um, a very good use of animation in telling the story, uh, and uh, just a really, um, I think fascinatingly uh pieced together just in terms of taking these uh stories that the uh, interview subject is telling who's given a pseudonym in the film uh and um making it into something that's both you know taking these stories and putting them into animation but maintaining just that intimate uh personal core uh to this um harrowing human story i'll have to catch up with this one i haven't seen this yet yeah, it's very good. <laughs> My number five Wait. is is Dune. The, the Dune, Denis Villeneuve. Uh, I went into this with zero expectations. I think for me, this was probably one of the one of the biggest surprises of the year, just for me personally, because I don't usually like. I didn't like Lynch's Dune. I I'm not tied to the the Dune story by any means. So I went into this expecting it to be, you know, visually arresting, but also pretty boring as far as narrative. And I was like completely wrong about that. I pretty much loved every second of this. I loved the, the characters, the world building, obviously the visuals are our next level. The effects work I think is probably the best I've seen this year as far as uh the cg the design of like the ships and the the way that the buildings looked and everything uh just yeah what a what a great experience it was to to see this so yeah love it, dune it, yeah it's just one of those movies i i also liked it not enough to put it on my uh li- top 10 list but just it's just a movie that i'm just so happy that that's how it ended up yeah getting released <laughs> yeah uh, Kevin, what's your number five? Number five, number five is a uh, another slam dancer, which I'm quickly realizing is like I guess what I should pay attention to most in terms of festivals. <laughs> well, slam dance used to be that... pretty rough. Last year was a really good year for slam dance, and there was another year too. Yeah, there was. That I... was really, really strong. It was like when we ver- when we first started covering slam dance. It was like there was like one year where it was just every movie was awesome. Uh, this one is Lapsus from Noah Hutton. The, oh the small my God. scale, but still highly impressive sci-fi film with an incredible performance from Dean Imperial. Uh, all right. I didn't know that this... Uh, okay. I kind of forgot. Came out. <laughs> I yeah. forgot that this came out. This would 100% go on my list, but I totally forgot that this came out. Well, you you can co-sign my number five. I, I do. I co-sign <laughs> it because, man, I freaking loved this movie. This movie is so good. Uh, it's you know Dean Imperial 
trying to make ends meet takes a, a job in the, the gig economy you know running cable through the forest and for this like quantum computing thing where he's connecting all these large metal cubes out in the out in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness uh and he has to deal with you know other cablers and robot cablers robots quotas, taking their jobs yeah unsanctioned break times just this this movie is so well thought out and like the world building although it's not like massive on the scale of like dune or anything it's just it it makes so much sense and you could see it being a reality within like the year you know what i mean that's like how present it feels Mm -hmm. and it's just this is another one that like completely surprised me that I didn't really expect too much going into it, but man, it it floored me. Yeah, me too, man. God, I can't believe I forgot that Lapsus came out this year. Ugh, that disappoints me. Ken, what's your number four? Uh, my number four is Summer of Soul. Uh, you know, it, it's also it's this is the last movie that I watched before we recorded. Uh, so I guess I could say I don't know. I could worry as i sometimes do recency bias blah 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 i don't care whatever this is a great documentary just um uh on one level you could say that maybe some people have tired of like the archival footage and talking heads kind of kind of documentary but this is an incredible range of interviews and just i cannot overstate this enough just brilliantly restored footage that was previously not known to even exist I mean, that's, um, the th- that's the thing is like, yeah. yeah, there's archival footage and a lot of documentaries, but this is yeah. like a ton of like brand new, never before seen footage unless yeah. you're like there or have home movies or whatever. It, it, it's just, yeah, that's that, that's what I was uh, kind of getting at. It, it's just incredible, incredible footage, just a brilliant uh, film, a music documentary. Yeah, I really loved that documentary, too. That's de- definitely my... I think my top documentary of the year. It's number 16 on my overall list. So yeah, I would say it's my documentary of the year. I guess what I was saying was, uh, you know, we can talk about, you know, different kinds of documentaries, different ways that documentaries are, uh, different formats of documentaries, but however you want to categorize this, whatever it is, it's really great. And again, just the importance of having that footage restored now available just the importance of being able to just have that and being able to archive and restore and uh it's just great it's just an incredible story uh even behind the documentary being here all right my number four is the card counter by paul schrader i was pretty yeah i was pretty surprised with this one as well didn't really have too many expectations going into it i typically like Paul Schrader's stuff, especially what he's been working with recently. But uh, this this one was was a pretty big surprise. If you're not familiar, it's with Oscar Isaac. He plays a uh, a former um, military person who is turned into like a card counter. So he he learned how to count cards th- because of a miss, not a mishap, but he took the fall for something that happened while he was um, enlisted and ended up in in prison for a while. And there he learned how to count cards and he ends up meeting up with Tiffany Haddish, who is she's uh, I can't remember the term that 
but she's she's basically like a, a middleman to help stake gamblers. So like rich people will uh, basically give their money to professional gamblers to win them more money. And Tiffany Haddish plays a person who facilitates that. So the movie is just them kind of going from casino to casino across the country, winning money. And his goal is to win enough money to help Ty Sheridan's character uh, get a better life for himself because he sees him going down this path of revenge and he wants to try to pull him out of it. So a lot of really interesting themes in this one and it's, uh, it's very well shot and some great performances. So highly recommend the card counter. Yeah. I, I, one of those ones I meant to see it, but I just couldn't get it in time. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty solid. Kevin, what's your number four? This is one that I meant to get in and I was able to, and this also marks the first time that I rented a movie on YouTube. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've won. I, that's how much I wanted to get this in, is I rented it on YouTube for $10. And that is, I Was a Simple Man by Christopher Makoto Yogi. He's the guy that did, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, August at Akikos, which mm, was, mm-hmm. I think, in like my top three or something like that. So definitely wanted to check out his newest film, Her Good Things, and it did not disappoint Uh He's quickly becoming one of my favorite directors. This is a it's a ghost story, but it's not your typical ghost story uh, that takes place um, in like the countryside of Hawaii. So there's this elderly man. He's bedridden. He's closing in on death and he's kind of having the flashbacks and memories of his past and everything. But when he's in those memories, the people that he's interacting with are essentially ghosts telling him about the present and the future. So it's just like everything gets mixed up. Everything gets really foggy in his mind while like his family is there trying to take care of him and stuff. And he has a really uh, difficult relationship with his family. And it's just there's a lot of things going on, but it's just really interesting the way in which Yogi essentially wrapped like grief and regret and like entwine them with like this guy's best memories of his life. It's just a really interesting take. Cool. Check this out. I wasn't a huge fan of Augusta Kiko's, but this sounds really good. This is, this is less experimental than that film was. I liked it. Don't get me wrong. I just didn't, I think I just wasn't quite as into it as you were. Uh, all right. Uh, Ken, to, narrowing it down to the top three here. What's your number three? Yeah. My number three is Drive My Car. Oh, uh, the interesting. Where, do you, where can you see this? Uh, I don't. Where can you see this? I uh, saw it. I think it's going to be. still say YouTube. Is it going to be a Netflix one? Is, or... I don't know. I, I, I think it's in some kind of limited release right now. They, like, they, they pushed the screener link really hard on me, so I was. I always had it like at the top of my inbox, but um, I have a feeling this is something that will show up on Criterion. I think it will. Because I think they have his other movies right now. Yeah, I wanted to see this, mm-hmm. but I wasn't able to squeeze it in. I mean, yeah, I think the runtime is 
yep daunting uh, 180 minutes yeah yeah uh it uses its 180 minutes well it it's it's just a movie that has uh this great i think sense of not only understanding how to tell its story over its runtime but just letting its characters live within the expansive space that it sets in kind of these uh difficult kind of hard to describe uh emotions um and on a lighter note for people who are fans of movies where the opening credits doesn't start for a really long time you are in for a treat oh i I am a fan of that well my number sorry go ahead kevin just just to mention uh yamaguchi here you know, with a, what, 180 minutes for Drive My Car. And he put out two films this year. So there's Drive My Car, there's Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, which is also 121 minutes. So I think in terms of, like, just quantity of cinema, he's he's up there in terms of minute runtime. I bet Ridley, I don't know, what what is Ridley Scott? Because Ridley Scott had two movies. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I... I I don't, I know, I just saw House of Gucci last night and it felt like it was 12 hours long, so. <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, the, the combined, uh, we've got, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find the answer to, to this question of who, who put out more minutes of movie. Yamaguchi, I think 121, 180, Ooh, yeah. uh, 301 minutes total. Uh, Ridley Scott, House of Gucci is 158. Uh, there's no, there's, last duel is 152. Oh, 310. <laughs> Sorry? Ridley Scott comes out. There's no reason for House Ridley of Gucci. Ridley Scott to... made nine minutes more movie. <laughs> it, yeah. is, it is great. I saw House of Gucci uh, as well uh, a few weeks ago. It's crazy that that movie is 158 minutes long. There's, yeah. There's it, no need. It, I agree. It is. It is pretty bloated honestly honestly the runtime is it, it it's so long it becomes funny <laughs> yeah it's it's ridiculous uh all right my number three is is pretty much i don't know if it's the polar opposite of ken's number three but it's zola uh this is directed by janiska bravo who previously did uh this this Weird little indie comedy called Lemon, which I really liked. Uh, anyway, this movie, if you're not familiar, it's based on a uh, a Twitter thread. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, adapted pretty much... I mean, like, it's pretty incredible how they were able to adapt a a Twitter thread into a feature-length movie and do it, like, verbatim like it's exactly what happens in the twitter thread is exactly what happens in this movie and so much so that they even like include snippets of the twitter thread in the movie and uh it's and then they do they do something else where they change perspectives and they start following a reddit thread and it's just it's so well made and the story is insane it's it's hard to believe that it that it really even happened and it's just uh it's wild it's hilarious it's also sad in a lot of ways but uh i wholeheartedly recommend zola i I thought it was pretty incredible yeah i uh i liked i liked it too i did against again didn't make my list but yeah recommended another movie that i forgot came out this year yep 
uh, Kevin, what's your number three? Apparently, there's a lot more movies that came out besides the 68 that I saw. <laughs> 68? Oh, man. <laughs> and that includes short films, too, man. It sure does. Man. Yeah, it was not a good year. No, it wasn't a good year uh, for me, too, either. My number three is the one that was already been mentioned, and that's Dune. Dune! It's a Dune. spectacle. Just a spectacle. I agree with everything that you said. This is, for me, this is also a, a film that it's like its scope in terms of like world building and you know just everything production design art design just it it felt massive in a way that i haven't experienced in quite some time you know like in terms of a blockbuster Mm -hmm. where i felt like i was in this like massive mammoth world you know with explosions and shit and just the buildings and I had a, I had a great time with this, and I actually did not hate uh, Chalamet in this, which is I, I think that's that's something too that you have to <laughs> yeah. commend. <laughs> One yeah, I I think if you uh, I think many people need a warning in advance for a Chalamet in a movie, uh, and I think. That doesn't exactly feel necessary for Dune, but it might for the French Dispatch. <laughs> he's pretty, yeah. Well, I mean, fortunately, he's it's only he's only in the one story, so it's not that big of a deal. Did you see Ken? Did you see Don't Look Up? I've seen that too. He's in that too. Oh Jesus! <laughs> he's oh my god. He's pretty. Uh, he's pretty I, rough a in that one. Kind of Chalamet performance, I think that uh, <laughs> that can irk people. <laughs> Yeah, well, and this is the this is the issue that I have, and it's not necessarily his fault because if I was that age and my star was rising and everyone wanted me, I'd be taking all these movies too. Especially if you're just doing like little, you know, side characters and stuff like that. Get your money. But I just hate the way that Hollywood movies always get like obsessed with someone, yeah, and then just drive them into the ground for like the next three to four years, like with you know. I forget how many years ago it was, but it was like Domino Gleason was in every fucking movie that ever came out <laughs> for like two years. And it's like, it just gets irritating after a while. Yeah. yeah. No. They got, they got to get the big, the big moneymaker, the big, the hot new guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it is, it is definitely unfortunate the way these things tend to go. Cause it's not fair to anybody. It's not yeah. fair to the actor. It's not fair to, Audiences who might grow tired of seeing like the same handful of people appear in you know every movie yes. for a little while. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. All right, Ken, what's your number two? Uh, my number two is the Power of the Dog, or I can't say it the way you say it, but <laughs> uh, yeah, great movie. Um. Great cinematography. I want to specifically mention the cinematographer Ari uh, Wagner uh, also shot Zola, another very well uh, shot movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. My number two is uh, Titan from Julia DeConu. Probably mispronouncing that. Apologies. This was just a just a batshit wild wild ride i had no idea where this movie was going and i loved every second of it it was just it it was zigging and zagging and you didn't know what the hell was going on and like 
there's a, a car that impregnates her and it's just uh it's nuts and it's one of the most unique and creative and well shot movies of the year and uh i i highly recommend it and I, I i loved raw i really loved raw that ended up on my top 10 the year that that came out so she she's definitely a director that uh is is hitting all the right notes for me so titan is definitely one to check out although it's definitely not for the squeamish it, it almost no. enters it almost enters body horror territory sometimes mm-hmm. so it's it's uh it's a pretty rough watch at times yeah, I just saw it yesterday. Uh, again, one that didn't quite make my list, but I also liked it. And yeah, I don't know what else to to say. It's 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 a lot. Yeah, and it's pretty intense. If you like movies that are a lot, then I think you'll like this. If you yeah. don't, then I don't think you will. It's it's just all over the place. It's just so it, you don't know where it's gonna go. Turns into this like family movie at one point. Yeah. So, it's so bizarre. Not not at all what I expected, and and that's why I think I, I liked it so much. Kevin, what's your number two? My number two is Red Moon Tide by Luis Patino. This is a experimental feature of sorts. Uh, I found it poetic and haunting. Perhaps the best visual movie that I saw this year it takes place in this coast uh, this coast town where you know the red moon uh, awakens a monster a beast you know they talk lore of and everyone in this town has been paralyzed stuck in time wherever they were whatever they were doing so it's a lot of like tableau shots of people just standing still some have like uh sheets draped over them like ghosts and there's three women that come to try and find a sailor that was lost at sea, more than likely to the beast. Just the the visuals of this and utilizing the the voiceover and the, like the lighting and the framing of this. It was, and this is something that I don't get to say often about a film. And I think this is why it gets to be so high on my list because it's not often that I get to say that a film was beguiling. <laughs> that doesn't happen very often. No, I don't. I don't say that word ever, really. So for me to like get that out of my vocabulary shelf in my brain, dust the dust off the old yeah, beguiling. Like, <laughs> like, this is beguiling. I didn't know I knew that word. Get out of here. Yeah, this looks awesome. I. This is it's something. It is something else. Yeah, this looks really good. I don't have to add this to my list. All right, here we go. Number ones. Ken, what's your number one movie of 2021? My number one movie of the year is Bergman Island. Oh, man, I wanted to see this. I just didn't get I just didn't get time. It's so great. It's so great. Uh, I I, I recommend it very highly. I'm saying put it at number one. It is uh, just this incredible meditation on um subjects that are often discussed in movies but often discussed very badly in movies ironically uh artistry and artists excuse me artistry and artists which uh movies often don't know how to talk about that um and this movie uh i think allows itself the kind of 
space to work within uh, kind of a liminal uh, property and environment to think about influences, to think about creation, to think about how these characters relating to each other, relating to their work, uh, relating to just this environment that they're in. And it, it comes together in lots of unexpected ways. Um, and it's uh, just a, a quite wonderful movie with some uh, lovely performances, uh, uh, very uh, precise direction. Uh, yeah, it's um, Bergman Island. It's great. Uh, interestingly, my number one, I can say a lot of the same things that you mentioned about Bergman Island with my number one, which is The Hand of God. And uh, this oh, yeah. is the Paolo Sorrentino one. This is a director who always seems to speak to me. I I pretty much love all of his movies. I, I find that some of his some of his themes tend to be could be a little bit problematic, but uh, specifically like with youth, I thought that there were some problematic themes with that. But the Hand of God is a this is on on Netflix and it is a autobiography of. Paolo Sorrentino. So it's it's telling his story of him growing up in Naples in the uh, early 80s and it is just it kind of it's just this kind of meandering film that's it, that's in the first half this like really kind of joyous uh funny kind of delightful movie about it's like this coming of age story about this this kid who's he's I think he's 16 and he has this like wonderful family and they're always kind of pulling, pulling pranks on each other. And then there's this kind of event that happens and there's a bit of a, a tonal shift and things begin to change. And it's, you know, if you've seen any of Sorrentino's other, other films, or if you saw the young Pope, you'll know that he is like sort of a master of the lens, or at least in my opinion. And this movie is like absolutely gorgeous. And so you have that just, immaculate Italian uh, waterfront that you're dealing with. And it just is, and then all of the beautiful architecture and it's a gorgeous, gorgeous booby to, to look at, but it is also a very kind of heartfelt, uh, funny yet deeply tragic movie as well. So I, I just saw this last night. So this might be getting that kind of, you know, fresh bump for me. But at the same time, I was just so kind of taken aback by it. I, I had to put it on the top of my list. So the hand of God, hundred percent, check it out. And plus they sent me a giant, <laughs> the, the biggest uh, coffee table book I've ever seen. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> It's, it's, I can't. They also uh, sent, uh, they were the, that was the one that had the candle, was it too, right? Yep. I should have, I should have lit the candle. The cam yeah, you should be burning that candle right now. I should have been, I should have been having that candle next to me while I was watching this, but. Unbelievable. Yeah. Missed opportunity. All right, Kevin, what is your number one? My number one is St. Anne, spelled S T E. We're dealing with the the, the French abbreviation of Saint mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. the feminine for Saint uh, by Rene uh, Vermette. This is this is a caveat here. There may be not a caveat, but 
Whatever. I'm having trouble, and we've discussed this numerous times. My attention span, just like me and me and movies, just don't get along, really, and we haven't ever since COVID started. But once in a while, I'll get, I'll find myself in the mood where it clicks. This is the first movie that clicked with me when I was not in the mood to watch a movie. This is very dreamlike and ephemeral. It's very fleeting moments. It's all shot 16 millimeter. Takes place in Royal Manitoba, in this like Matisse settlement. Um, this woman, this mother, returns to uh, returns to the camp after a long absence. She's back with her brother, who has been raising her daughter for her while she was gone. Uh, it's very vague as to what's going on. It's semi-cryptic because she's kind of talking about like this impending doom or the, you know, this impending danger that's coming. But it's also really beautiful in its presentation of like the little things in life, just, just these little moments. Most of it is focused on like what the women in this like neighborhood, what they do. And it's just kind of like a connection of them to nature and to a specific spot. And because of that, because of that, you know, dreamlike, very fleeting moments, uh, very short scenes, like it just clicked with me where like it was just in tune with where my attention span is right now as this human being trying to live life while everything is burning to the ground. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's just been very difficult. This was the first movie that linked in with me. I agree. I think that it has been hard to stay focused and motivated with movie watching. I, I've I find that the most motivated I am or have been this year is when I've been covering film festivals. Like that that sort of forces me to to focus in and and watch things but i've i've had the same issues as you where there'll be movies that, that there'll be a movie that comes out and i'll be like excited to see it and i won't like normally i i'm like just rabid like i have to see a movie like as soon as it hits vod or whatever theaters whatever but recently like i still haven't seen the new spider-man movie there's just like these movies that i have an interest in seeing that i just don't i'm just not right in the right mind space for it yeah, yeah i just yeah. i i can never find that like it's really difficult for me to get in that headspace yeah it's unfortunate hopefully that will change soon doesn't look like there's any sign of that but it doesn't it doesn't, it doesn't maybe 2022 like will hold the answers we seek perhaps i think we said that at the about 2021 we, we, uh, we 100% yeah. did say that i i uh, but yeah, I, I think there's so many things about once we again coming back to what I was mentioning earlier about spaces and environments. There's so much uh, about the theatrical experience of seeing a movie that's not only about you know big screen. You're in the place. I think also an underrated one. There's a time it has to start, and that's a big problem I have. Is if I could watch a movie whenever I want, that also means I might never actually watch it. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. true. That is true. There's also the the selection. You know, I have yeah. been for years 
been a huge proponent for put everything on streaming. Just put it on streaming. And it was essentially after I watched St. Anne and I was a simple man. I just stopped because I was like, I, I don't know what to pick. There's so many things yeah. that I need to catch up on. I'm just going to stop now. Like I still had like two days left and I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. That's, that's kind of the frustration, I think, on the other hand, is that you can have the accessibility of streaming, but there's just, there's no, there's nowhere to start, you know? It's, uh, uh, it's, it's just so easy to, um, to feel like that if everything's there, then it kind of feels like nothing's there at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's also like what you're getting at where I don't, it, it, there's not, I don't have to worry about it leaving the theater. Like, it's yeah. on streaming. It's going to be there. I can watch yeah. it tomorrow. And then tomorrow I can be like, well, I can watch it Friday. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I could watch it Saturday. You know, I'm not doing anything Sunday. I'll watch it Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yep. I've, I've been in the same boat where there's not that sort of time, time limit. There's not that, that cutoff. There's no urgency to see it. So you just keep putting it off. Which did slightly help with I was a simple man where, you know, I rented it. I paid $10 on YouTube. I gave, I gave YouTube $10. Get the fuck <laughs> out of here. And, you know, you have a window of like, you have 48 hours to watch this. So it's like, I have to watch this. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not losing $10 to fucking YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Well, you could have rented it on Vudu. <laughs> Give $10 to Vudu. <laughs> That's when true. I, there, when I there, there's a couple other YouTube. spots. That's the thing. Is exa- at least with YouTube and Amazon, you, you know exactly what evil corporation your money is going to. When I run a movie on Vudu, I don't know where it's going. Yeah, who owns Vudu? Is it Walmart? Does Walmart own them? Oh my god, am I giving money to Walmart? I, I, I mean, at this stage in the game, it's kind of better than Amazon now. Yeah, probably. It's a joint. Uh, it's owned by Fandango. Uh, oh Fandango? yeah. Wait, wait, who owns Fandango? Walmart. Probably. <laughs> Is that true? A joint venture between NBC Universal and Warner Media. Huh. Parent organizations: Walmart and Fandango. So yeah. There you go. Yeah. I thought of what I thought Walmart was involved there. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's um. I will say that uh, Voodoo actually has good uh, uh, customer service from the one time I used it when I rented a movie, and like the something was wrong with like the v- v- file, like there was just there was a problem not only with the video, the audio, and I actually uh, called their um, uh, uh, customer service hotline. They actually did refund me, which is probably more than you could say about a lot of things. I mean, th- this is not to become a um, a pro. A, this is this is not to become a a, a pro Walmart corporation. No, no. We I, everybody knows I, that this is a this is a Tubi podcast. This is a pro Tubi we're, podcast. We're the ones that we we promote Tubi. In Which this, I in, should this check podcast. to make sure who owns Tubi. It's Fox. Make sure Fox. Okay. Yeah, we so actually. That's, that's not this. That's not good. In um. One? Yeah, on the on the Christmas episode of Saved by the Nineties, we actually dug <laughs> dug into Tubi and f- found out that it was Fox Corporation. Yeah. Also. Damn it! Yes, one hundred percent of uh, every uh, well, they don't have money. All money the Tubi generates goes directly uh, to the Murdoch to the Murdoch family. <laughs> uh, it's hilarious. 
all right. Uh, I think that that's going to do it for this year. Uh, it's been a, it's, there've been some good things that have come out this year. Nothing, uh, in my opinion, nothing like completely mind blowing, but it's still a solid year nonetheless. And this is another year where our lists, there's not a whole lot of overlap there. There's, you know, some, some similarities, some things, but all of our number ones are different. And I imagine that, that once we start posting up everybody else's lists on the, on the site, that it's going to be the same. There's going to be a lot of different number ones, which I think is really interesting because in the past, like in the past, it was pretty much, there was like the same, like three movies that, and that's the interesting thing with streaming where you have people not going to the theaters you have people prioritizing their own viewing you know the things that they want to see it's not just every single person that is doing film criticism or film criticism adjacent you know going to the theaters to see the same thing to have the same discussion people are in charge of that now and they can watch their own things and you're starting to see what people are gravitating towards that you did if you didn't have those guidelines as to like, mm-hmm. oh, we need to cover these things. This is what people would be watching. Yeah, I think that that is, that is very interesting to, to see. Yeah. All right, uh, I think that's going to do it. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions, topics, your top tens to podcast at filmpulse.net. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And if you have a minute, consider reviewing us on your podcast platform of choice. For Kevin Rakestraw and Ken Bakley, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week.